In this episode of the Discover the Word podcast, Daniel Ryan Day is going to help the group follow a thread, a common image that's used over and over in the scriptures. This study is called Out of the Dark. In the Bible, there are quite a few good things that come out of dark places, which is helpful because in our lives, we often end up in the dark as well. But God is a God who does his best work out of the darkness. Let's look at the theme of darkness in the Bible and discover how God not only brought good things out of the darkness in the past, but can and will bring good things out of the shadowy places in our lives too. Yeah, out of the dark. Pull a chair up to the table with the group as we explore the surprising frequency of the darkness and darkness to light pattern in the scriptures and the hope it breathes into our lives. Discover the Word next. And welcome to Discover the Word, the small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries. And for the next hour, your study partners will be Daniel Ryan Day, Elisa Morgan, Bill Crowder, and Rasul Berry. And I think this is going to be another one of those aha sessions as we study the scriptures together and discover things that may have a lasting effect on how we read the Bible. I think this may be one of those perspective shifting conversations as we explore this darkness to light pattern in how the story of the Bible is told. And as we'll see in this first segment, this thread that we'll be following begins at the very beginning of the Bible. In the first words of Genesis, we see that in many ways. This is going to be a darkness to light story. Creation is the first instance that we'll look at in our study called Out of the Dark. Are you a night person? No. No? (laughs) I'm a morning person, yeah. 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 I am. Are you? Yeah, I just get energy the more the day Hmm. progresses. Mm -hmm. I used to be a night person. And then (laughs) when I became a pastor, the only time I could meet with guys from the church was early breakfast before they went to work. And so I had to learn how to become a morning person. And now if I stay up much past 730, I'm kind of done (laughs) in the (laughs) evening. (laughs) I find that whether I'm a morning person or a night person depends kind of on how healthy my life rhythms are a little bit. So I think I tend to be a morning person, but when life gets too stressful or too full, it's amazing how getting up in the morning feels a lot more painful (laughs) (laughs) those times. My wife is definitely a night person. She can get stuff done at night. She likes to read at night. (laughs) So do you like darkness as well? You know, because sometimes night people are people who also love just like being in the dark Mm. and enjoying that. Mm. Or the fact that you're a morning person, do you tend to enjoy? Mm. I guess it depends on the time of year too, doesn't it? Well, to me, it's also, there's levels to darkness, right? Like, you know, living in New York, like it's night, but you still see skylight (laughs) and street lights. And so as a urban dweller, I remember the first time, you know, I went down south and visited some of my folks in South Carolina and it was dark and it was like thick darkness. Like, you know, like you can cut it with a knife. That's I'm like, a I don't, great way to put it. I don't like this type of darkness. <laughs> you know, I, I need to see something in front of me. So, yeah. yeah. I prefer the light. I love early morning. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I like darkness, but I don't like absolute darkness. I think absolute darkness can be really unsettling mm-hmm. and disorienting. Yeah. And absolute darkness in some ways is harder to find now than ever because of light pollution. Mm -hmm. And like you mentioned, being in the city. Wait, light pollution? Yeah. So it's when there's so much light that you have to go so far away from a city in order for it not to impact being able to view the stars or whatever. It used to be called ambient light. Mm. And now it's called light pollution. Light pollution is maybe the negative side. (laughs) Ambient light sounds more positive. It does. It sounds almost soothing. (laughs) (laughs) Just trying to help out here. (laughs) Interestingly, if you look up darkness in Google, you'll discover that darkness is not a thing. So it's not something that can be studied like light can, because light is made out of particles. And so scientifically, you can study Mm. light. But when you look up definitions of darkness, it's defined as the partial or complete absence of light. I would study darkness, but I can't see it because there's no light to see it by. So I thought it might be fun this week to uh, study darkness in the Bible and actually see how the story of darkness in the Bible kind of tells the story of the Bible. And um, spoiler alert, 
the story starts in darkness and in Revelation, the Bible ends in light. Mm -hmm. And so there's this arc that we see to the Bible Mm -hmm. that starts with darkness. So turn to Genesis chapter one and let's read verses one and two. Rasul, would you read Genesis one, one and two for us? In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void and darkness covered the face of the deep while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. So to begin, let's try to like get our minds around as much as we can imagine, right? Because this is impossible to imagine Mm -hmm. fully. Like what it would have been like when God is present in this nothingness, this formless void Mm. before anything came Mm. to be. So what are some of maybe the, the ideas or the words that jump out to you in these two verses that might help us get there? Well, the words formless and void Mm -hmm. are impossible for us to comprehend because we live in a three-dimensional world that has form and has stuff in it. So it's Mm -hmm. not a void Mm -hmm. and it's not formless. And so since that's our entire environment for life, it's hard for me to even conceive of what that must have been like. Yeah. The only way I can get to it is... um to think about being in a completely dark place. And, and you kind of go to space, and you've seen a lot of space movies or something, and you know that helps. But I'm very impressed by the wind and the water and those two things being in the mm-hmm. void already. Yeah. 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 Now, my translation said spirit. Mm-hmm. Ah. Um, the spirit of God was moving over the surface okay. of the waters. Yeah. So in the Old Testament, the word for spirit, for spirit of God, for wind, for breath is the same word in ruch. most uses. Yeah, ruach. Yeah, it's one of those mm. clear your throat words yeah. in Hebrew. And so it is. It's the spirit of God, which is when we see God breathe into the man and give him life, he's breathing his spirit, mm. God's spirit into the okay. man to bring him to life. And the same is true in the New Testament, right? The mm-hmm. word for spirit and wind and breath is the same word. Yeah, yep. pneuma. pneuma, right? Yep. Okay. Yep. And so that's what we see there is God's actual presence is sweeping back and forth over the waters. And you mentioned the waters, which is another interesting so uh, weird. idea. Never thought about that. One yeah. of the things I think we forget sometimes when we read Genesis is this is an ancient book in an ancient culture. And so one of the questions we have to ask is what would over the face of the waters mean to them? Mm. And waters are actually a pretty scary concept Mm -hmm. in Mm -hmm. the ancient world. Chaos and death were represented Mm -hmm. in the waters. So for example, when we see Jesus walking on the waters, what do the disciples assume? That he's a ghost. That he's a ghost Mm -hmm. because this is one of those places where Earth meets the underworld. And so chaos Mm -hmm. and fear would be Mm -hmm. over the water. So what we see here right here at the beginning (laughs) is the Hebrew story is not one where there's chaos and the gods are at war with each other and we'll see who wins. Uh. But it's a God who is hovering over the waters. The spirit of God is there. Which has a control element or an authority maybe element to it. Yeah, especially because so much of the creation narratives that we see in other cultures in the same time were chaos stories. So two gods at war with each other, the god who wins is the one who then creates the world, Mm -hmm. or the actual world is created out of bloodshed and, and war. And often humans are created in those stories as slaves to the gods, as people who would serve the gods. So then we have in this narrative a very different story, right? Where God creates men and women in his image. Mm -hmm. It's a very different feeling story, simply because like you said, Elisa, there's an authority overall. Whereas, as you're saying, Daniel, when you have gods at war with each other, they're fighting to see who's going to have the authority. Mm -hmm. Well, in Genesis 1-1, that issue's already settled. Yeah. The God who made the heavens and the earth is the one who has the authority, so we don't have to worry about that. Yeah. Which kind of starts the whole Bible off on a tone of there is a God in the heavens and... Mm -hmm. He has authority over everything, so let's just get that settled now. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Remember, Moses is writing those books as a legacy for a people who have been in a nation where they've been enslaved in a polytheistic culture where they've been confronted with all these other gods. And it's almost like we're going to go all the way back to the beginning to redefine the story so that you understand the way it really is instead of what you've been used to for 400 years. Yeah, and that's a great point, especially because in our second conversation, we're going to be talking about how not only 
did Moses go back to the beginning to start reframing? But even the very plagues themselves are a way in which God differentiated himself from the other gods in a culture. One thing I'm kind of curious about is, I don't know grammatically, like when it says in the beginning, the version I'm reading, when God created the heavens and earth, the earth was a formless void. So it's like, is that talking about like the first step of creating the earth was that it was formless and void? Because it almost could be read like it was already formless Mm -hmm. and void and then God shaped what was already there. Yeah. Yeah. So that's part of the mystery. And scholars have debated for a long time on what is this story trying to tell us? And I think for me, one of the most helpful things has been to remember what the purpose of Genesis is. It's not a scientific textbook that's trying to tell us like, here's the A plus B equals C way that everything happened. Instead, what it's trying to tell us is this is a story about a different kind of God than all the other gods that were in other cultures at the same time. Mm. So other cultures had creation narratives too of this is how the world came into being. And so this is Israel's version of the same story. And so instead of trying to give us the exact like the earth was there, then God, or God and then earth, um, depending on which translation you read or whatever, what Israel's trying to say is, oh, yeah, I hear your story about your God. Let me tell you about mine. Mm-hmm. At the beginning, this God was present yeah. in the darkness. Ah. Mm. And I want us to kind of just think about that piece alone. Mm. God was present in the formless void, which in Hebrew is kind of a fun, I have to throw this in because it's it's my nerdiness coming out, but it's tohu vavohu. So it's like a little rhyme. That is pretty nerdy. I love that. Yeah. It's this formlessness, this void, this nothingness. And yet God, it's not fully nothing because God's in it. Yeah. Yeah. And so at the very beginning, we have darkness, we have a void, yet we have the presence of God there. How does that strike you that in this deep darkness with nothing, God is there? Well, to me, how it strikes me is it's just that the nature of this God is that he's self-sufficient. He didn't need anything because for eternity he had existed in this nothingness and was absolutely sufficient in himself in the Godhead. So when he sets about to create, it's for other reasons other than, wow, I'm lonely or wow, I need something. No, he didn't need anything. And the fact that he had existed forever in nothingness is evidence that he's beyond need or or lack or whatever we might struggle with in our own lives. Mm. I'm struck by the practical question of God being present in the darkness. Because like the the tone of formless void, tohu vavohu. Mm -hmm. um, (laughs) Well done. Thank you, thank you. It almost feels like a negative thing, like a foreboding thing, like a scary thing. And so... It feels almost like a flex to be like, God's there and everything's going to be all right, even in the midst of what can feel pretty intimidating. Yeah. And that immediately makes me think about times when I feel like there's darkness mm-hmm. in my life that mm-hmm. God is still there hovering present. Yep. So all is not lost. All mm-hmm. is not as desperate as it seems. In fact, what happens from the darkness Right. Like this is the beginning of the Genesis one account, but then it goes on to describe all the amazing good things that God creates out of darkness. Mm -hmm. And then we're also handed this rhythm in Genesis of, and there was evening and there was morning the Mm -hmm. first day. Mm -hmm. We have it backwards in our culture, right? We tend to think of it's morning and then evening, Mm -hmm. but this rhythm that we see starting right at the beginning is darkness giving way to light, of evening giving way to morning. So you're right, Rasul, like even in the most shadowy dark things in our lives that we experience, what is the work that God is doing to bring light? I had this great question, but I feel like Rasul just need to retell his story from earlier. Actually, was... I got a better one. Okay. <laughs> I got a better one. All right. So here's the question then. What's the darkest place you've been in? Mm. So I guess darker than yes, South Carolina. Darker than South Carolina. <laughs> I was studying abroad in Cameroon, Central Africa. Now, I was in a provincial small, small town. So a town so small, they had one road, La Goudron, which meant paved road. Like that was, <laughs> that was it. That yeah. was it. Um, so, you know, we'd walk about 20 minutes to um, get to my host family 
house from class. And one time I was hanging out with some friends and we're near the equator and it gets from light to dark really fast uh, <laughs> there. Like 20 minutes and get from, like, oh, it's nice outside to almost pitch back dark. So lost track of time walking off La Goudron <laughs> and it is so dark and I got a flashlight. I can't find my way home. Uh-uh. Like I have to turn back to get to the office and so that they could call my host dad who came through with a motorcycle, which we weren't supposed to ride on motorcycles. But <laughs> I couldn't believe how dark it got and mm-hmm. how I wasn't as familiar enough with the road. So I couldn't go home. I had to go back. Oh, wow. So that was the darkest, Whew. you know, cause that was surrounded. Like yeah. it was just yeah. nothing I could. Okay. So <laughs> mine's kind of silly compared to that, but my, <laughs> the darkest place I've ever been was at a place called Casa Bonita in Denver, which is a Mexican restaurant where they have like cliff. Yeah. They have like cliff (laughs) divers inside, but they have these caves. I was with our kids and my husband and they all wanted to go into the caves. And I went into the cave and I freaked out because I'm pretty claustrophobic Mm. and I'm just standing there and I'm starting to sweat and shake. And Evan is, he knows me so well. So he starts pulling on my arms backwards to lead me (laughs) back out of the cave. (laughs) And it was probably as big as like your family room. It was so tiny Mm. compared to what you went through, Russell. But anyway, that was mine. It was terrifying. Oh, man. Uh, I was in Peru on a teaching assignment, and we were going between towns, and they said, we're going to take you and show you something. So they pulled into this national park area where they had this cave. The opening to go into the cave was like 40 feet high and 100 feet wide. And so you go in, and there's all this light from the entrance. But the second you turned and went down, it was all gone. No, no. And you couldn't see anything. And all you could hear were the millions of bats on the roof of the cave just going. <laughs> like that. And I was okay. like, okay, this That's is kind of like That's the enough. creepiest thing I've ever been in in my life. <laughs> could you see them, the bats? I shined a flashlight up on there. Oh. It was just like covered. It was like the bat cave. <laughs> oh, man. So you literally were in deepest, darkest Peru. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, literally. Oh, man. It's funny. Three of our stories are cave stories. That's mine as well. And uh, I think it was seventh grade. And I just remember that darkness being just so intense. It's also interesting, too, that all four of our stories, deepest, darkest places equaling something unsettling mm-hmm. within us. Mm-hmm. I think there's a reason that kids tend to be afraid of the dark, right? Mm-hmm. And because yeah. you can't see. Doesn't it have a little bit to do with control? Or you know, like yesterday we were talking about authority, you know, mm-hmm. that God had authority over the darkness, over the deep. And we don't have any authority over mm-hmm. the darkness when we mm-hmm. can't see, I mean, unless we have a flashlight yeah. or something. So it's interesting that Yeah. Darkness hides danger, which I think unsettles us. As you said, Elisa, darkness takes away any sense of control that we thought we might have had. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I wonder, because we're so used to light today, if ancient peoples, like we see in the Bible, if they were as scared of the dark as maybe we are, Mm -hmm. (laughs) because they were more used to, oh, at nighttime, it's dark. I don't know, Mm -hmm. honestly. But this week, we're going through different places in the Bible where we see this kind of theme of darkness. And looking at how the whole story of the Bible can be told in the story of darkness to light. Mm -hmm. So in the beginning, God was present in the darkness. At the end, God is present in the light in Revelation. And so we're just jumping into a few passages of scripture Mm -hmm. that talk about darkness or darkness and light. And so today I'd like to talk about one that was probably a pretty unsettling, scary moment, Mm -hmm. especially for the Egyptians. This is in Exodus chapter 10, and this is verses 21 through 23. Elisa, will you read that for us? Sure. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven so that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness that can be felt. And so Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven and there was a dense darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. People could not see one another. And for three days, they could not move from where they were. But all the Israelites had light where they lived. What jumps out? (laughs) Well, a couple of things jump out to me, but the one that I'm going to go to first is a darkness that could be felt. Mm. I mean, Mm. it just puts you in a place of, this is not the way things are supposed to be. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm struck by 
Moses was to stretch out his hand toward heaven so that there would be darkness over the land. And it calls back again that authority that mm-hmm. God is the one <laughs> who controls it. I'm thinking about three days. Yeah. <laughs> no yeah. sunrise, no sunset, yeah. just straight dark for three days. That's pretty intimidating. Yeah. That's pretty scary. Because then you lose track of time. Like, right. Yeah. And I think the thing about darkness, depending on your imagination, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And like you can start to get more scared yeah. that something is there that really isn't. Yeah. But for the Egyptians, it would have been worse, right? I mean, mm-hmm. even worse than what you're describing is absolutely right. There's a mental, emotional mm-hmm. kind of component to this. But for the Egyptians, if I remember correctly, Daniel, it would have been a spiritual component because one of their main gods Mm -hmm. was the sun god. Good point. Mm -hmm. That's right. Yeah, their god of gods, their lord of lords is the god Amun-Ra, which is the sun god. And Pharaoh Mm -hmm. is the divine son of Ra Mm -hmm. and Ra's representation. So the sun god's representation in the world. I've often heard that these 10 plagues, one of the best ways to understand them is as this battle Mm -hmm. between the gods of Egypt and the one true God of Israel. And so each one of these plagues Mm -hmm. that they're going through isn't about destruction or whatever. It's first and foremost about this authority Mm -hmm. that there is a true God. So it's almost like what we saw in the first conversation where the creation account was almost a corrective Mm -hmm. against the Mm. false creation accounts of the false gods. This is in a sense, not only God setting Israel free, but it's also God correcting the Egyptians' Mm. false understandings of who God is. Yeah, absolutely. So we know that there's this confrontation, Pharaoh, and everybody knows this is public, right? Mm -hmm. Moses coming to Pharaoh, Mm -hmm. demanding the people to be let go, he resists this thing escalates frogs gnats and like toward now this is like at the end so this has been affecting everybody to this point so they know that there's Mm -hmm. something happening and you're saying at this next level of escalation is darkness that covers the only and that's the other part it's not every the the israelites aren't experiencing it right so there's clearly this sense of this having to do with the struggle and you're saying that the God that we worship, who is the sun, is being blocked. And what does that mean? Right. You know, for them theologically, even sure. like, you know, how do you even interpret yeah. that moment? Because it's like, I think our guy is losing. Right. And that's why this is such a big thing for Egypt, because if like if we read the, through the plagues, this one feels in some ways like the least like. It's not destructive. It's mm-hmm. not like, oh, it's just darkness for three days. Right. Big deal. Mm-hmm. But for them, this is a worldview right. shattering moment. Yeah. Right. yeah, this is a darkness that can be felt. And yeah. I love that that's in that passage yeah. because it makes it so dramatic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I pulled a quote from one of the commentaries that I was reading, and I think this really captures what we're talking about. And this is from the Understanding the Bible Old Testament commentary. And it says, the plague of darkness may not appear to be as bad as the previous calamities, mm. But in terms of Egyptian cosmology, their understanding of how the universe works, it was by far the worst. It was the death of their worldview. Hmm. Hmm. But what's beautiful, I think, in that is that we often think of these plagues as for Israel's sake. And in many ways it was, right? Because through these plagues, God frees an enslaved people from their oppressors. What an amazing characteristic of our God, that he's a God who fights for those who are experiencing injustice. But I think there might also be a little bit of grace and mercy for the Egyptians here too, because they had put all their faith and trust in this series of gods that couldn't rescue them from darkness, that couldn't protect them. And for the first time in their history, they're now introduced to the one true God who is more powerful than the sun Mm -hmm. God, who shows that this Pharaoh that is supposed to be this divine representation of God, maybe he's not everything that they thought he was. And by unsettling their worldview a little bit, it at least opens the door for them to meet who God really is. Yeah, and I think it actually can even be taken further in the fact that anytime you have a type of regime like Pharaoh's who's willing to brutally enslave you know, over a million people, that doesn't just end with them. Other people in the Egyptian society felt the sting of that kind of oppression. 
And I think you see it because when the Israelites finally left and were freed, some Egyptians come with them. And so there was some genuine revelation that happened as a result of what people saw too. I've often heard it said that even God's acts of judgment are ultimately acts of mercy. That's good. Mm. Yeah. And maybe the invitation for us as we think about that is we have so many things that we put confidence in. What we think is our ability to control our circumstances. And so maybe the invitation for us is to look and realize that there is a God who's in control. And the beautiful thing about trusting in him is he can actually help us when we run into those places where we're in the dark. Yeah, darkness and uh, darkness to light. And how on so many levels that is a big part of the story of the Exodus and God rescuing Israel and even some Egyptians from bondage. As we're discovering throughout the story of the Bible, God is a God who brings light out of darkness. Well, next, Daniel is going to take the group to another passage where darkness and light are part of the story. In the Old Testament minor prophet Amos, God calls out his people for thinking that they're in the light, when actually they're in the dark. How is that possible? Well, we might be a lot like them, as we'll discover after this quick time out. Well, I think it's fair to say that these past two years have been a time of darkness for many. The pandemic has been a pretty dark cloud and has changed life for people all over the world in different and difficult ways. In response, Our Daily Bread Ministries has produced a film series featuring six frontline workers who discovered renewed hope and faith through leaning on the promises of God. You can watch the series for free by following Our Daily Bread's YouTube channel and clicking on the Instruments of Peace playlist. Discover how their stories of faith can ignite your own faith in times of darkness. Again, to watch this inspiring series called Instruments of Peace, subscribe to the Our Daily Bread channel on YouTube and look for the playlist called Instruments of Peace. And now let's continue this study out of the dark. Have you ever been called out for something? And if so, are you willing to share the story and tell us how you felt about that? I was playing soccer in college (laughs) and it was the only game my parents ever attended because they lived five hours away. And I was a goalkeeper. And just because all the action was at the other end, I kind of drifted up out of the box out of the goalie box, the the penalty box in that area. And uh, I was up way too far from the goal. And I just hear my coach screaming at the top of his lungs from the sidelines, Crowder, you idiot, get back in the goal. (laughs) (laughs) How did I feel about it? I felt about an inch and a half tall. That's how I felt about it. So (laughs) This is going to sound kind of, well, it's revealing. But when we first got married, Evan did not care for sarcasm. He grew up in a family where that was like a big no-no. And I grew up in a family where that's like how you survive. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. In my family, it was a spiritual gift. Yeah, exactly. Uh. Yeah. It was like an indication of rye wit and et cetera in, in our family. And so I got called out, you know. By it, and I tried to conform myself to his desires, but today he's very sarcastic. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. oh well. Oh wow! It actually was a defining early moment in my relationship with my now wife, who at the time we were just getting to know each other, friends from church. But I had uh, been broken up with by dumped. this girl. I had been dumped. <laughs> I mean, and it was bad too because Aww. I invited my girlfriend at the time to go to a uh, 4th of July kind of getaway with my family. Like, you know, we always went to Ocean City, Maryland. And so the family went ahead. She was coming to pick me up, the girlfriend, after the family left. And she came to dump me. (gasps) Now, this was a relationship I knew I wasn't supposed to be in and all that unequally yoked. And I remember Tamika, uh, my now wife, you know, was like, you know, you're a hypocrite. You (laughs) you, You know, you keep talking about all the things that she did, like you didn't do anything. But didn't you also say that you weren't supposed to be in this relationship in the first place and I was like I can't believe you just called me but she was absolutely right and it was almost like this jolt that I needed to Hmm. stop wallowing in self-pity to realize that 
you know, mm-hmm. I had kind of put myself in a bad situation. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, she's really willing to tell me the truth. Mm. Yeah. And so that actually made me esteem her more once I licked my wounds. And got <laughs> yeah, that's right. That. <laughs> yeah, the only thing worse about being called out is being called out and you know they're right. In oh, that's the worst. <laughs> when I think of being confronted, I think of um, very specific moments in my faith journey mm. where I've believed something to be true. And then someone in my life whom I respect Mm. is like, yeah, I don't think that's in the Bible. Or, (laughs) yeah, I don't think that captures the heart of the Father. And those have been really attention-grabbing moments. In fact, some of those have been ones that I've held on so tightly and not only believed it, but I believed it to, like, being a jerk about it. Mm. And then to get called out and then to find out you're wrong. Yeah. Whew. Yeah. Those hurt too. Yeah. Mm. You get called out for being wrong and being a jerk. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. A little bit of both. (laughs) We've been walking through the scriptures, looking at different places where darkness shows up. In our first conversation, we saw God create this amazing world out of the darkness and the fact that he was present in the darkness. And he gave us this rhythm of, and there was evening and morning the first day. And so this rhythm of good things coming out of darkness. And the last conversation we saw how in Egypt, there was this battle of the gods, the one true God of Yahweh versus the the pantheon of gods in Egypt. And the one true God came out victorious, right? Mm -hmm. In this conversation, we're going to talk about a darkness that is pretty intense because God calls out his own people for Mm -hmm. living in a way that does not reflect his heart. And he's going to talk about the day of the Lord, which they are excited about because they think that they're in the right spot. And God's going to tell them that actually right now, the way that life's going for you, the day of the Lord is going to be darkness, not light. Wow. So listen for that as we read through this. This is Amos 5 verses 18 through 24. And we'll just go around the table. Amos 5 verse 18. Alas, you who are longing for the day of the Lord... For what purpose will the day of the Lord be to you? It will be darkness and not light. As when a man flees from a lion and a bear meets him, or goes home, leans his hand against the wall, and a snake bites him. Is not the day of the Lord's darkness, not light and gloom, with no brightness in it? I hate, I despise your festivals, and I will take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the offerings of well-being of your fatted animals, I will not look upon. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. But let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. Mm. So, first of all, before we get into kind of the intense stuff, can we just smirk for a moment? Because I did laugh the first time I read this when I read the, as if someone fled from a lion yes. and was met by a bear. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. Went into the house and rested well, a hand on the wall and gets it, bitten by a snake. It's kind of like a out of the frying pan and into the fire yeah. kind of moment. Yeah. 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 I think these are those moments where we realize like there is some really fun poetry <laughs> yes. in scripture. Yeah. Because this goes from a bad day. To a really bad day. Really bad day. (laughs) (laughs) But even that metaphor, right? Like what is being described here with something bad running into even something worse? What is Amos unpacking for Israel here? Well, I think what he's unpacking for him, Daniel, is that they are anticipating the day of the Lord and not realizing that it's going to be their undoing and Mm -hmm. not their benefit. Yeah. What Amos is warning them about is there's some problems that we need to talk about that are going on in culture. To see what those issues are, we have to kind of backtrack a little bit into Amos 5 a little earlier. We see in verse 7 that they're neglecting justice. In verse 10 and 15, they're talking about injustice happening at the gate and what happened at the gate. That's where the elders of the city would sit and they would give counsel to people who came in. And so if people came in looking for wisdom and they were given not wisdom, (laughs) then that was an abuse of that responsibility. Yeah. In verse 11, what do we see there, Rasul? Therefore, because you trample on the poor and take from them levies of grain, you have built houses of hewn stone, but you shall not live in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink their water. 
Yeah, and read verse 12 for us too. For I know how many are your transgressions and how great are your sins. You who afflict the righteous, who take a bribe and push aside the needy in the gate. Yeah, so pushing aside the needy, Mm -hmm. trampling the poor, Mm -hmm. taking bribes. So they think they're honoring God and living for him by having all these festivals, but what are they neglecting? Well, the poor and the needy, and the, I mean, they're neglecting justice, really, you know, yeah. what is right. It's like they're doing the right uh, worship moments, mm-hmm. but forgetting the heart, which really mm-hmm. is God's people, you know, our people. There's almost a, an echo of this description in Jesus's story of Lazarus and the rich man. The rich man has all this bounty, and here's this diseased, sick, needy, poor, destitute man sitting at his gate mm-hmm. and receiving nothing while he goes on and lives in luxury. And Jesus tells that story to call out yeah. the people who were abusing the poor and not responding to their needs. Yeah. And also in the story, Jesus calls out the Pharisees and the Sadducees because they're so particular about tithing their mm-hmm. mint and mm-hmm. their dill and their cumin but what does he say they're neglecting? Yeah, the inside. Right. Yeah, yeah and the weightier matters of yeah. the law. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, justice and mercy. He said you should have done that while not neglecting the former. But the fact that he called justice and mercy the weightier matters, he's mm-hmm. actually, yep. you know, putting some weighted context on value, on, on, on uh-huh. value, yeah. right, on that. And so, yep. and I think at the time there was this concept as you know the Assyrian Empire was kind of foreboding and there was a sense of uh, danger of of being overcome and yet they have this moment of prosperity which causes people to think oh <laughs> we're God's people yeah, we're going to be yeah. okay we're blessed we're, yeah, yeah so the day of the Lord that must be a great thing yeah mm-hmm. bring it on and Amos is saying actually guys um, yeah. God is judging you because mm-hmm. of what you're doing to others Yeah. And the heart of God that we see throughout the Bible on the day of the Lord is this day when God is making all things that were wrong Mm -hmm. made right. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that God makes right is he takes injustice and brings justice. Mm -hmm. And so what I think we're seeing here with Israel, God is like, hey, I'm going to hand you over to the consequences of of your own decisions of Mm -hmm. what you're doing. I'm going to let you feel that pain because I'm a God who fights on the side of justice, which means if you're on the side of injustice, you're on the wrong side of that battle. I'm a God who looks out for the poor and the orphan and the widow. So if you're not taking care of the poor, the orphan, the widow, the stranger, then you're going to be on the wrong side of the day mm-hmm. of the Lord. And that's why he says, even though they think the day of the Lord is going to be light, it's really going to be darkness. Mm. Yeah. And it's going to be the opposite of what they're expecting. And so for us today, as we think about, like, do we end up in similar places? I think we do. I think there are times in our lives where we sometimes get caught up in the wrong things. We get caught up in focusing on the lesser, what kind of worship music we should play, or even some theological ideas that we debate. And we act like we're on the right side of history while neglecting being the hands and feet of Jesus. And so maybe part of the encouragement or the challenge for us as we think about how this story for Israel is, where do I end up on the wrong side of what Mm. God's heart is? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I'm struck by the specifics that he gives throughout this passage. Mm -hmm. Court systems with unjust rulings, trampling the poor, taking bribes. And it reminds me of in 1 John when John says, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Mm. And so there's this framework of saying that the way that you treat people is a key reflection, right? Love the Lord your God, mm-hmm. love your neighbor as yourself. If you're not doing that, it's a reflection that you probably aren't doing the first thing. You're listening to the Discover the Word podcast. Daniel Ryan Day leading the discussion this week with Elisa Morgan, Bill Crowder, and Rasul Berry as they follow a thread through scripture of darkness and light. This is a convicting use of that image in Amos, isn't it? And next, uh, Daniel's going to take us to the Christmas story so that we can take note of an amazing perspective concerning Jesus' birth. Jesus comes from the darkness of Mary's womb to be the light of the world. 
This is part four of our conversation, Out of the Dark. This conversation might start off a little awkward because of where we're going to start. When have you been in one of those situations, or have you, where women are comparing birth stories? Uh, yes. Yeah. It usually happens right before I leave the room. So, no. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Like, yeah. that's interesting. There's this, like, joint sense of talking about the discomforts and pains, but then also talking sometimes even about the baby critically like yeah they, you just didn't want to leave <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but yeah i've been in those conversations and just like to be a fly on the wall <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah our oldest son was almost a week late and those of you who know my wife marlene you know she's small and matt ended up weighing like nine pounds eight and a half mm. ounces wow. Wow. and so she was in labor like 36 hours mm-hmm. and then they finally had to do an emergency c-section yeah because she just could not deliver him. He mm-hmm. was too big. So, you know, once you get to the point where scalpels come out, I'm leaving the room. <laughs> I don't do well with that. Yeah. <laughs> and a lot of people know that our kids are our kids through adoption. You know, so I've actually never been pregnant, but I've been present at many births, mm-hmm. which is an interesting privilege. And mm. um, two were delivered, if you will, and two were C-sections. Mm-hmm. And um, in all of those situations, I've got a lot of stories to tell. Mm-hmm. So I hang back because I honor the fact that it's mm-hmm. a different thing to experience it, but it's an amazing thing to watch as yeah. well. Yeah, That's it great. is. Yeah, I've been present at three births, which are my three kids. <laughs> Weren't you present at yours? <laughs> I was I was there, so four, yeah. Um, but Elisa, I think the wisdom that you just shared is good, which is especially for maybe the four of us and especially the three of us there, guys, backing off a little bit Mm -hmm. and letting women have that moment is important. And I've noticed one of the things with those stories is like if you've ever been in a wisdom tooth competition, right? Where somebody's mm. like, I had two wisdom teeth out. Well, I had four. Well, I had 12, you know, Mine taken out, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. There's almost like this sense of who ups one another. Yeah. Yeah. But with birth stories, it doesn't feel the same way. Even if one woman was in labor longer than the other, there's this genuine respect of like, I honor the fact yes. that you went through that. Mm-hmm. Because birth is one of those things where something amazing comes out of something very painful. Mm-hmm. And Interestingly, as we're in this series of talking about darkness in the Bible, I want to talk about a place where there is darkness mentioned in the story in a few places, but the place that we're going to talk about is a darkness where it's not really mentioned, but it's the darkness of Mary's womb. Because we've been talking about how really good things have come out of dark places, and it's in Mary's womb that Jesus is Mm -hmm. formed, and then Jesus comes out of that darkness as the light of the world. So just to kind of tee up the conversation, Luke chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, let's read these super familiar words, Mm -hmm. especially around Christmas time. Elisa, will you read those for us? You bet. While they were there, meaning Bethlehem, the time came for her to deliver her child. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn or the guest room. Yeah. What was the cultural context that's surrounding this birth story because Mary's in a pretty precarious spot in many ways. There are a couple of cultural things that are playing in on this. One was the cultural reality of a census that was ordered by the government that forced Joseph and Mary to make the very difficult, long 80 or 90 mile journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem, which Mm -hmm. was where uh, Joseph's kin were. So there was this enforced kind of thing that they went through while she was pregnant, which had to have been extremely difficult. And disruptive to their life. Yeah, very disruptive to their life. But the second element of it was this messianic expectation of the people that was connected to Bethlehem. And even though the people surrounding them didn't understand that that's what was taking place, to some degree, Joseph and Mary did. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They understood that there was more going on here than just a census and a trip, that there were forces at work here that were beyond them. Because they both received visits from an angel Mm -hmm. telling Mm -hmm. them. That's kind of a big deal. They actually, you're right, really did have a different kind of understanding. Yeah. Yeah. And for Joseph, those angels showed up at night Mm -hmm. in the darkness to Mm -hmm. tell him about this good news that was coming. Mm -hmm. If we think about like the emotional or psychological 
darkness that Mary would have experienced culturally. So they're in small communities, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the idea of being pregnant outside of wedlock oh, was huge. It's a scandal. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, one of the interesting sidebars when it says that because Joseph was a righteous man, mm-hmm. he decided to divorce her in secret. And mm. we normally wouldn't think, okay, his righteousness would be on the line. But when you look at the law, I mean, mm-hmm. there's a chance she could have been stoned to death, mm-hmm. you know, if they could presume, because yeah. most people wouldn't have bought the, yeah, the Holy Spirit impregnated me line yeah. that had never happened before in human history. And yet the specter of that, people talk. Yeah. People mm-hmm. look at the timing. Wait, when did they get married? When was, yeah. you know? Yeah, because they were just betrothed yeah. when yeah. she became pregnant. So that's yeah. like, what? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And in that season, she would have stayed living with her parents and they right. wouldn't have consummated right. that marriage, you know, unless they had disobeyed. Yeah. There's a sense which is we're talking about good things of light coming out of dark places. I mean, Jesus's entire life was lived under the shadow of that question yeah. of his birth, because even in John chapter eight, when the Pharisees are accusing him, they basically say, we're not born of fornication. And the clear implication is like you, wow. you know, I mean, it's a shadow mm. over him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's this emotional or psychological darkness that mm-hmm. I don't know that we spend enough time really thinking about. Mary and Joseph had to have been very isolated for so much of that pregnancy, other than her trip to visit Elizabeth, which is probably why she stayed there a little longer. (laughs) And she was also a nobody. Mary was not some special person in the history of the world yet. Now we look at her and say, oh, it was Mary. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, But at that point, you know, a little nobody in a nobody town. And yet God comes and we have this beautiful poem that Mary gives called the Magnificat, where she describes God visiting the lowliness Mm -hmm. of her state to bring good things to the world. There was also, though, like a cultural darkness that descended Mm -hmm. on this whole event, too. What happens after Jesus was born? Well, eventually what happens is King Herod uses it as an excuse to slaughter babies. We've been talking about birth stories Mm -hmm. and think about those birth stories that never got to no fulfillment because Mm -hmm. the children were stolen from them and killed. I mean, I think that's one of the most heartbreaking passages, Mm. you know. Yeah. It just tears your heart out to it, read We that. kind of avoid it, don't we, in yeah. the Christmas story? And, yeah. you know, Herod was so threatened by the potential of another king. Right, which is a shame because it is in the context of that darkness. Yeah. Yes. When hope didn't seem to be a reality, that the light of who Christ is mm-hmm. shines. Yeah, that contrast is really what helps us have the depth of understanding. We need to look at it. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting in Matthew where it describes Joseph fleeing with Mary and Jesus says that it was at night Mm -hmm. um, that he took the child and her mother and they fled Mm -hmm. to Egypt of all places. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. That they had been rescued from centuries before. Yeah. So ironic. So Egypt was the safer place than Israel for Jesus, for the Messiah. And then, of course, there's the physical darkness of the womb. And we actually see this referenced, not Jesus himself referenced necessarily, but we see the darkness of the womb referenced in Psalm 139, verse 15. Rasul, would you read that for us? My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Yeah. So we have this darkness of the womb, this secret place. My frame was not hidden from who? From God. From God. So at the very beginning, in our very first conversation, what did we see? That God was where? Mm -hmm. On the face of the deep. Yeah, in the darkness, in the face of the deep. In the void. Mm -hmm. In the void. Mm -hmm. And here, a place that looks like void or darkness or Mm -hmm. deep, God's there too. Yeah. Yeah, and to me... That's one of those things that if I think about it too long, (laughs) my brain just kind of starts to hurt. Mm -hmm. Because to think about the infinite Christ, Mm -hmm. to be placed in the darkness of a womb would be the ultimate in finiteness, in a sense. I mean, you couldn't ask for any more limitation or restriction than that. Mm. And so you have this extraordinary second person of the Trinity Squished in there. Being mm-hmm. reduced yep. in mm-hmm. a sense. I mean, it's more than, you know. It is. It's more than I can begin to think. Yeah. Maybe the only other contrasting, you know, that's so ridiculous is the tomb itself. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. to think that he's squished yeah. into there. Yeah. And similar to Genesis 1, where light comes from darkness, we see 
Jesus, the light of the mm. world, emerged from the darkness mm. of the womb. Yeah. And we also talked about how at the beginning we were given this rhythm of days. Mm. Of It was evening and then morning the first day. It seems like Jesus was born at night because the shepherds are out in their field in the dark and then the whole expanse Mm -hmm. opens up with these angels that declare this good news to them. And a bright light. And a bright light, yeah. And so at the beginning of creation, we have God exploding in light Mm. into the world out of the darkness. And here we have another evening and morning, Mm. right? We have the evening of Jesus' birth giving way to Mm. the morning of him being the light of the world. This is how light entered the world both in Genesis out of the darkness and here with Mm. Jesus. But what's also fascinating to me is if we look at Psalm 139 again, everyone who is at this table and who's listening, Mm -hmm. God was with you Mm -hmm. too when you were formed in the womb. Your frame was not hidden Mm -hmm. from him either. And so for all of us who struggle with whether it's how we look or our personality, or whatever it is. And when we look in either literal mirror and see ourselves, or the figural mirror of thinking about our personality or who we are, and we see darkness, God was present in that darkness, and he's bringing light. And as we look at one another, sometimes we may even see darkness in other people, but God hasn't given up on them, and we shouldn't either. Good word closing that part of this conversation that was an interesting way of looking at Jesus' birth as a darkness to light story. Jesus went from the darkness of Mary's womb to being the light of the world. Well, we've been saying all along that the Bible is in so many ways a darkness to light story. It starts in the first verses of Genesis in the dark and formless void out of which God created. And it ends up in Revelation in the light And Revelation is where we'll go to wrap up this study called Out of the Dark after this preview of what we'll be studying together in our next podcast. Old Testament scholar Dr. Amanda Benkhausen is at the table to talk about how the first chapters of Genesis help us understand being human. I remember when I was pregnant with my first child and I decided I was going to refresh my Hebrew. And so I don't know why. (laughs) Who does that? (laughs) But in any case, I started from Genesis 1 and I remember reading through Genesis 1 in Hebrew and I was struck by how much life was reflected just in the words, like the whole text seemed to be teeming with this Mm. life that God had embedded within the creation itself. And I was like, this is so cool. This life that's growing in me, this life that's in the text, Mm -hmm. the words just jumping out from the page. God creates humankind Mm. in his image. Yeah, explore being human and what it means to be made in the image of God on the next Discover the Word podcast. And now, the conclusion of Out of the Dark. What was or is the darkest moment of your life, and are you comfortable sharing about it? And I can go first. I'll give you time to think. So I think for us most recently was finding out via text message that our seven-year-old nephew was being airlifted to Miami Children's Hospital for emergency brain surgery because he had a tumor the size of a softball. Mm. And at this point, he is still living, but Mm. we thought for sure he was dead that night. Mm -hmm. And he's best buds with my uh, little girl. Mm. Um, They were born almost the same time, right down the street from one another. So uh, those are also those nephews and nieces are our god kids and Rebecca and I are very close to them so it felt like one of our kids Mm. going through that Mm. and um, just all the questions and oppression and darkness that just descended on our family for especially those Mm. first four days but even to this day thinking about that Mm. that was a pretty dark moment Mm. for us Mm. sorry to hear that but also grateful to hear that he's still with us. And I appreciate the fact that you said recently, because that's a hard question to kind of 
think about in absolute terms because you have the experience of the moment at the time and then you have perspective and, mm-hmm. and things that matter less over time than others. But I would say recently I uh, lost my grandmother mm-hmm. who uh, was the closest person in my immediate family that I've like lost before. And what made it more difficult was because of uh, distance and mm-hmm. protocols, pandemic, things like that. I just wasn't able to see her for months. And, um, you know, when I got the call, it's just my heart, it's just like the world just stopped, Yeah, you know? So that was, you know, something to still get over and, and whatnot. But yeah, I, I definitely felt like that was a pretty dark time. Mm-hmm. And I think those dark moments are ones we don't really ever get over. Yeah, I think that's why they're so shaping. Yeah, mm-hmm. thank you for sharing, Russell. Mm-hmm. It seems like we're talking about loss or potential loss. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that seems to be a theme in those dark moments of life. I lost a job and um, had a wife and five kids. And, you know, on the one hand, there's the sheer terror of how you're going to take care of that family mm-hmm. coupled by the sense of humiliation Hmm. that goes along with job loss. And not only are you in a dark place, but what you want to do is go into a dark place and never come out again. You just want to go in there and stay so Mm -hmm. nobody can see Mm -hmm. your shame and and all that. Yeah, thanks, Bill. Because there's kinds of darkness, aren't there? I mean, we're talking about death. We're talking about the loss of... I guess security and even the shame that can come with it. So our own performance. And I can think about the losses in our world, you know, just dark times, whether it was 9-11 or some of the racial strife we've seen or divisions in our churches or even the pandemic where our ways of being together, that was crushing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we've survived it, but it was crushing. And I can go through all of the different like the horrible moment when one of my grandchildren went from womb to tomb in in a single passage. And, you know, they're just awful, Mm -hmm. awful times. And I think for me, they're the ones where you kind of touched on this, Bill, the emotion of being so alone and kind of helpless with it or seeing my children (laughs) suffer and their losses and knowing this is part of life. And how am I supposed to navigate through this as a person of faith? Yeah. I think, too, of psychological or emotional darkness where whether it's someone that's uh, struggling with depression or deep discouragement Mm -hmm. and just feels like there's a cloud, always a cloud of darkness around them and in them and moments where it just feels like all of our life is not going the way that we either had planned or expected. So, yeah, darkness is part of life. And this week, some of the hope that's been coming out for me is the fact that in all these stories of darkness, we see God do something amazing and bring hope and bring life. And today where we're going to end up is realizing that the story of the Bible is a story that starts in darkness, but ends in light when God will eventually make all things fully right. So as we've been going through these different stories of darkness, what have we talked about so far? And then we'll finish off with one more story today. Well, the light that God brought out of the darkness and formlessness of creation Mm -hmm. was the starting point and it kind of set the tone i think not only for our conversations but in a different way maybe for the whole bible yeah Mm. and the evening and the morning yeah right even that rhythm of nighttime gives way to daytime Mm -hmm. we saw that the darkness of uh, the egyptian plagues where our one true god Mm -hmm. trumped other gods that the egyptians were worshiping Mm -hmm. one thing that stood out was what you said earlier that god allows darkness to still be here like you know Mm -hmm. it's still a part of the rhythms of the day of the life so Mm -hmm. in that sense there is some redemptive value you know i know when it's dark out and you kind of have that little nudge i need to rest i (laughs) I need to go to bed yeah and so it's not all bad yeah and then we talked about the day of the Lord in Amos mm-hmm. and how it was a day that Israel thought they were looking forward to because they thought they were in a right spot. They were doing what God mm-hmm. wanted and discovered through God's words to the prophet Amos that they were on the wrong side yeah. of mm-hmm. history because they were trampling the poor and taking bribes and doing injustice and not caring for those whom God cares about. 
And then what was our last conversation? We about? talked about the darkness around the birth of Christ and, mm-hmm. and even the literal darkness of him coming forth from the womb. But he is the light of the world who came mm. forth from the darkness. Yeah. Jesus was born out of the darkness of the womb, but he also died in darkness. And then when he came forth out of the resurrection, he brought light into the world, which is where our story is going to end today too. Mm. Luke 23, verse 44 Bill, would you read that for us? Sure. It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, while the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, crying with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. We've talked a lot about how unsettling darkness is, Mm -hmm. how unsettling it was in Egypt. How unsettling do you think it was here when at noon, Mm -hmm. darkness rolls in? I mean, we've had experiences, all of us, where you're in the middle of the day and a big thunderstorm comes Mm -hmm. up and it's like a little bit unsettling, but this is darkness. This is more severe. Yeah. If you think about the plague of darkness, we talked about in an earlier conversation and it was described as a darkness you could feel. Mm. I kind of almost imagine that this was that kind of darkness. It was so absolute Mm -hmm. that there was just this tactile yeah. nature to it. And it wasn't just over the Egyptian households, you know, as it was in the plague and Exodus. This was over the whole land. And we mm-hmm. talked about how God's, um, even in his acts of correction, there is always a loving hand there. There is yeah. So even mm-hmm. in this, there is a revelation of his authority mm-hmm. over life and death in this moment. Think about in this darkness, who is the first person to proclaim who Jesus is? Mm-hmm. It was a Roman. A Roman centurion yeah. who sees the miracle of this darkness that happens, mm-hmm. this unsettling darkness, and as a result, puts his faith in Jesus. Let's move now to Luke 24, verses 1 through 3, and hear the contrast. So at Jesus' death, darkness rolls in. Mm-hmm. Listen for what we see regarding Jesus' resurrection, mm-hmm. the time of day, and if there's light or darkness present. Marisol, would you read that for us? Sure. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And when they went in, they did not find the body. Yeah. So a lot of people describe the cross as the moment when Jesus paid for sin uh, or delivered us from sin. And then the resurrection at the moment when he defeated death and darkness Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. came forth in light. And so even the story Mm -hmm. is painting this picture of starting Mm -hmm. in darkness at the cross and giving way to the morning Mm -hmm. at the tomb. Mm -hmm. And I think this is maybe what John is referring to when he describes Jesus in John chapter one, when he said the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness did not overcome it. Mm -hmm. Jesus, the light of the world was not overcome by the darkness, Mm -hmm. whether it was the darkness around his birth, (laughs) the sociological, psychological Mm -hmm. darkness, or whether it was the darkness of Mm -hmm. his death on the cross. And all of this, for me at least, Daniel, comes together in the words of Paul, where it says that God has called you out of darkness Mm -hmm. and into the kingdom of the son of his love. Mm -hmm. And even though the word light isn't there, it's all over the place. Yeah, that's right. Because it's Jesus's kingdom and he's the light of the world. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think about the promise in that, that we see in the Psalm, for weeping may endure for a Mm. night, but joy comes in the morning. And speaking of us being called to being light in a dark world, 1 John, so the letter that John writes, describes this in really cool terms. Verses 5 through 7 of 1 John chapter 1. Rasul, would you read that for us? This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him. There is no Mm. darkness at all. Mm. If we say we have fellowship with him while walking in darkness, we lie and do not do what is true. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So we are called to be now the representatives Mm -hmm. of Jesus, the representatives of light in the world, in a world that we already admitted still has darkness in it. Mm -hmm. 
And so we are that representation of hope, of light, of truth in a dark world. We're the, the representation of where all things are going. And that's where I want to end this conversation because uh, one of the things that was even overwhelming to me as I, I went through this was how many different places I run into darkness in my life whether it's darkness of sickness or darkness of putting my hope in the wrong things or whatever it is, just the darkness of circumstances that we run into. God is a God who brings light out of darkness. And the whole story of the Bible is pushing us forward to a moment when there is no more darkness. Mm. Now, for those of us who like darkness, I don't think this is necessarily literal, <laughs> like there's no more beautiful night and stars, who knows? <laughs> but I think the point here is in the same way that the uh, cross of darkness gave way to the resurrection of life, that the whole world is coming to this moment when all injustice, mm. all brokenness, all death, all tears will go away mm. and we'll be in a kingdom of light. So as we end, let's end with these words from Revelation chapter 21, verses 22 through 25. And we'll just go around the table. And again, remember the story started in darkness, but here's how the story of the Bible ends. I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God is its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. great conclusion to this episode called Out of the Dark. Thank you, Daniel, for leading us in this discussion. I think we've all been challenged to see ourselves as a representation of hope and light and truth in a dark world. And I think it's been helpful to take note of how often the Bible is a darkness to light story. Well, you're listening to the Discover the Word podcast with Elisa Morgan, Bill Crowder, Daniel Ryan Day, and Rasul Berry. Discover the Word is a small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries in Grand Rapids, Michigan, in which we invite you to walk with us through topics and passages that inform the way we read the scriptures, challenge us as we live our lives as followers of Christ, and always point us to discover Jesus in the pages of the Bible. Well, here at Discover the Word and Our Daily Bread Ministries, it is our mission to make the life-changing story and wisdom of the Bible understandable and accessible to people all around the world. But this ministry simply would not be possible without the support of friends like you. And so we invite you to partner with us and uh, help make an eternal impact in the lives of those who listen to Discover the Word, those who read our devotionals, watch our videos, access all the resources that we provide. You can donate online at discovertheword.org. Click the Donate tab. All right, well, thanks for listening. I'm Brian Hedinga. Discover the Word is provided by Our Daily Bread Ministries. 